Matthew chapter 28 verses 8 through 20 verses 8 through 10 And they quickly departed from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word and as they went to tell his disciples behold Jesus met them saying all hail and they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him then said Jesus unto them be not afraid Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Burkett notes, Observe here, what haste and speed these holy women make to carry the news of Christ's resurrection to the apostles. Such as find and feel their hearts grieved for the absence and want of Christ will be very ready to comfort such as are in the same condition. Oh, how glad are these holy women to carry the good news of the Lord's resurrection to the broken-hearted disciples. Observe, too, how these holy women hastened in obedience to the angel's command to tell the disciples to meet with Christ in the way, such as obey the direction of God's ministers, seeking Christ in his own way and means, shall find him to their comfort sooner than they expected. These holy women find Christ before they looked for him. As they went to tell his disciples, Jesus met them. O happy women! Whilst they were weeping for a dead Christ, they find a living Jesus. Observe 3. The affectionate and loving title which Christ puts upon his disciples. Tell my brethren. He might have said, Go tell those apostate apostles that cowardly left me in my danger, that durst not own me in the high priest's hall, that durst not come into the shadow of my cross, nor within the sight of my sepulchre. Not a word of this by way of abriding them for their late shameful cowardice, but all words of kindness. Go tell my brethren, where note that Christ calls his disciples brethren after his resurrection and exaltation, as he had done before in a state of humiliation, to show the continuance of his former affection to them, and that the change of his condition had wrought no change in his affection towards his despised members. But those that were his brethren before, in the time of his abasement, are so still after his exaltation and advancement. Observe lastly, the place where Christ chooses to meet with and speak to his disciples. Not in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. I go before them into Galilee. There shall they see me. Jerusalem was now a forsaken place, a people abandoned to destruction. Christ would not show himself openly to them, but Galilee was a place where Christ's ministry was more acceptable. Such places wherein Christ is most welcome to preach shall be most honored with his presence. In Galilee shall they see me. Verses 11 through 15. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ear, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Burkett notes, Observe here, one, how the priests and elders endeavored by a notorious lie to hinder the belief of our Lord's resurrection. They suborn and bribe the soldiers to say that his corpse was stolen out of the grave. Lies have been an old refuge which the enemies of Christ have all along had recourse unto. Lying is an ancient device of Satan. But observe, too, 
What an improbable and unlikely lie this was, which they put into the soldiers' mouths to vouch. Say his disciples came and stole him away while we slept. Frivolous excuse, carrying with it a most self-evident contradiction. If the soldiers were asleep, how could they discover the disciples stealing away the body? If awake, why did they not prevent their stealing it? Besides, how improbable was it that Christ's few and fearful disciples should attempt to open the sepulchre guarded by soldiers? And as unlikely was it that the soldiers should be all asleep together, and so fast asleep too that the great stone at the mouth of the sepulchre should be rolled away and not one of the soldiers awakened with the noise. Infatuation is the certain consequence of desertion of God. Yet observe farther that this incredible falsehood finds a fast and firm rooting in the belief of the Jews to this day. Note thence that it's a righteous thing with God to deliver up those to strong delusions, even to the believing of notorious lies, who will not yield their assent to divine truths upon the clearest evidence and most convincing demonstration. How strange is it that such a falsehood as this should find belief among the Jews to this day, but where truth is obstinately rejected, a lie, though never so improbable, is received. Verses 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Burkett notes, The meeting of our Savior and his apostles upon a mountain in Galilee was an appointed and general meeting. The mountain is supposed to be that near Capernaum, where he made that famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And the meeting is supposed to be appointed as a general rendezvous for confirming the faith of all his disciples in the certainty of his resurrection. Possibly our Lord appointed this place in Galilee, so far from Jerusalem, that his disciples might, without danger, come thither to see their Savior alive again after his crucifixion. This is judged to be that famous appearance of which St. Paul speaks, 1 Corinthians 15.6, when he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, and those who saw him worshipped him, who before had doubted. Learn hence that when faith is once satisfied and sees Christ to be God, it engages the soul to worship him. Divine worship is due to Christ upon account of his divine nature. No creature can be the object of divine worship. Therefore, they that worship Christ by praying to him and yet deny him to be God are certainly idolaters. If Christ had had an angelic nature, that had not made him capable of divine worship for adoration is founded only in divinity, and what is but human or angelical is not adorable. Verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Burkett notes, Observe here, 1. A power asserted. 2. An authority delegated. 3. A command enjoined. 4. A promise subjoined. Observe 1. A power and authority asserted by our Savior as belonging to himself. All power is given unto me, both in heaven and and in earth. 1. 
in heaven, which comprehends a power of sending the Holy Ghost, a power over the angels and all the hosts of heaven, and a power to dispose of heaven to all that shall believe in him. 2. In earth, which comprehends a power to gather a church out of all nations, and authority to rule, govern, and defend the same against all its enemies. Learn hence that all power and authority concerning the church of God was given unto Christ and conferred upon him upon the account of his meritorious death and triumphant resurrection. All power is given unto me, that is, as mediator, but this power was inherent in him as God from all eternity. Observe, too, the power delegated by Christ to his apostle. Go ye, therefore, and teach and baptize all nations, instructing them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Here is a threefold power delegated by Christ to his apostles. 1. To congregate and gather a church, a Christian church, out of all the heathen nations throughout the world. Before, he had confined them only to Israel. Now they must travel from country to country and proselyte the heathen nations, which before had been taught of the devil and were led away by his oracles and delusions. Go and disciple all nations without any distinction of country, sex, or age whatsoever, and make the gospel church as large as you can. Thence note that the apostles and first planters of the gospel had a commission from Christ to go amongst the pagan Gentiles without limitation, and were not to take up their settled residence in any one nation, but to travel from country to country, instructing them in the saving mysteries of the gospel. The second branch of their power was to baptize in the name of the Holy Trinity, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, where observe that all adult and grown persons are to be first taught and instructed before they be baptized. But it follows not from hence that the children of such parents may not be baptized before they are taught. For the apostles were to baptize all nations, of which children are the chief, if not the chiefest part. Besides, those that were prostellated to the Jewish religion, though before they were circumcised themselves, they were instructed in the law of God. Yet when they are circumcised themselves, their children were not denied circumcision at eight days old. In the like manner, we have no reason to deny the children of baptized parents, who are in covenant themselves, the sign and seal of the covenant, which is baptism. God having assured his people that he will be the God of them and their seed. If this privilege be denied, the children of Christian parents are in a worse condition than the children of the Jews, and consequently infants are in a worse condition since Christ's coming than they were before, and the privilege of those that live under the gospel are straighter and narrower than those that lived under the law. Observe farther in whose names persons are to be baptized, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost where we have a profession of our belief in the Holy Trinity, a dedication of the person to the worship and service of the Holy Trinity, and a stipulation or covenant promise that we will continue faithful in the service of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to our lives' end. The third branch of the power which Christ delegated to his apostles was by their ministry to press upon all their converts a universal observance of and obedience to all his commands teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Where note one, that preaching is the ordinary and instituted means to convert nations unto God. Two, that preaching must not only go before baptism, but follow after it. 
Obedience must be pressed upon and practiced by all those that enter into covenant with God. Otherwise, they lie under a great condemnation. 3. That preaching of the gospel is a chief part of the minister's work, and no apostle thought himself above that duty. 4. As the apostles did not, so the ministers of Christ ought not to teach anything but what Christ commands them. 5. As they are to teach what Christ commands them, so are they to teach all things whatsoever that Christ commands them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Lastly, observe the promise enjoined. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. That is, I am and will be with you and your successors, lawfully called by my power and authority, by the blessing and assistance of my Holy Spirit. I will be with you to uphold my own ordinance, to protect and encourage and reward you and all your successors in the full discharge of your trust, and this not for a day, a year, or an age, but to the end and consummation of all ages. Learn, thence, that the ministry of the Word and administration of the sacraments are a standing and perpetual ordinance to continue in the Christian Church throughout all ages. Learn, too, that all the faithful ministers of Christ, in what part of the world soever God shall cast their lot, and in what time soever they shall happen to live, may comfortably expect Christ's gracious presence with their persons, and his blessings upon their endeavors. Lo, I am with you, I am always with you, and to the end of the world I will be with you. Thanks be to Christ for the gracious promise of his spiritual and perpetual presence with his ministers, to the end of the world. May this promise cause us to gird up the loins of our minds, increase our diligence, zeal, and fervor, accounting no labor too great, no service too much, no suffering too severe, so that we may but finish our course with joy and fulfill the ministry we are engaged in. Amen. Amen. <laughs>